0: From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to look at verses 20 and verses 25 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, uh, let's go there. In verse 20, um, Paul makes a statement, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature and wise in understanding matters of this kind. In verse 25, Paul will say, as as they listen, their secret thoughts will be laid bare, and they will fall down on their knees and worship God, declaring, God is really here among you. This phrase, God is really here among you, we've kind of camped on that phrase for a little bit. The reason we've camped on it is what stuck out in my heart about this phrase was simply the reality that what it shows us is that God Himself has a deep desire to be experienced and found in our gatherings. I'd love to say it this way The natural state of the people of God is for the manifest presence of God to be found when they gather. It's normal for the supernatural presence of God to be invading a culture. It's normal for the cloud of glory, for for tangible expression to happen when the church gathers. It's abnormal for the presence of God to be void in our services. There is a word that's used in the Scriptures when the presence of God is missing in a gathering of God's people. The word is Ichabod, and it means the glory has departed. So we, as we step into this, I want us to understand that what we're dealing with is a biblical paradigm that says the presence of God was always intended to be upon the people of God. Therefore, for you and I, the intention of our Father is that we walk in an expression of His presence, that the presence of God goes where we go. I don't know how we have come to where we've come to in our culture where we're, we as a people in the nation, specifically let's talk about the United States, we have become incredibly comfortable with the idea of God, but not the presence of God. So we gather in churches, they're far more aimed at the concept of God, but not the experience of God. There's a moment in Israel's history, if we look at Exodus 33, there's a moment where this same problem is going on. The tent of meeting has been set up, And it is said that the tent of meeting was available to all of Israel. Anyone who wanted to at any time could go to the tent of meeting and meet. And then there's this one verse that's hidden in 33 where it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Moses would go into the tent of meeting. The cloud of glory would descend behind them and cover them. And all the men in the camp would stand at their tents and watch. And when they disappeared, they'd go back into their tents. And it's, it's critical that we understand what happens in this moment. The people of God were comfortable with the concept of God in their camp, but had no desire to engage with God on their own. They wanted somebody else to do it for them. Paul's dealing with this young Corinthian church, and he's talking to them about order in worship. What should it look like when we gather? So he's really dealing with a tutorial about what does it look like for the people of God to come together and do church. And his statement is, when he goes through this, he talks about the first thing that we, that we do is we all are willing to engage into the gifts of the Spirit, which some of us maybe have a gift of the prophetics, maybe some, maybe some of you have the gift of tongues, and during worship you just feel the desire to sing out in tongues. Paul talks about all those things happening, and then he comes down in verse 25 and says there's something that goes on inside the heart of an unbeliever and a person that doesn't understand the things of God when they come into a gathering and everybody's engaging God in their, in their gifting and with their hearts. They fall down to their knees. There's conviction. There's life change. Consider that for what it is. It's a picture of people's lives being altered. I believe with everything in me. The presence of God is the greatest need for humanity. It's not, the need isn't to belong to a culture. The need is to engage with God. I would say it this way. You and I and every other person on the earth we're never intended, ever, to live adjunct from the presence of God. I would submit that that's the entire reason why Jesus was sent, was because there was a passion in the heart of the Father to reconnect the presence of God to his people. Because he wanted us to be able to walk in, dwell in, live in his presence. And so the question for me is, how? We know the heart of God, we know the desire of God, but how does it work? Are there things that we can do to help foster this environment? How many are like me? You want to be in a place where when we, we come in and from the time it takes off and go, there's just this sense of the presence of God, and this weight of heaven where people's lives are getting altered, where sickness can't dwell. What would it look like to, to live into a place where cancer literally can't live in the room? Because the presence of God and the weight of heaven is so expressed on a people group that the culture of heaven begins to invade earth, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what that means. That's the thing I'm driving towards. It's not just to populate rooms and say, look, we're growing. It's to amass a group of people that have such a trajectory towards heaven that they would say, we understand the agenda. And the agenda is that we will be people that will contend for the presence of God in our day and in our time, so much so that heaven invades earth and sickness can't dwell and sin can't dwell because people walk in and heaven is here. And that's what Paul's talking about with this Corinthian church. And so, For me, the simplest way to to break it down is what can we do to host the presence of God? Paul gives us some things. We looked at one of them. The first one was simple. We're all willing to function in our gifting. That's the thing Paul says. We step into our gifting. Therefore, for us as a family, the family rule would be everybody plays. Nobody watches. When I walk in the door... To vintage, on a Sunday morning, I know as part of this family, I have a task in front of me. Which is, I'm going to engage, and I'm going to give everything I can give to the family. And each of us should be doing the same. That's Paul. Paul says. When we do that, we foster an environment for, for the supernatural. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. The second thing, which is, it, it's, it's hidden in verse 20. And Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it, when it comes to evil. But be mature and wise in understanding matters of this kind. And we looked at the first part of this, which is what does it look like to be intentionally innocent? To have no experience with evil. We talked about purity. How many in the last couple weeks have been challenged in moments of, where the, you know, the, there'll be that thing in your flesh or there'll be that, that whisper from the enemy. And, there's a, and it, how many did it come to mind, no, I want to be innocent towards evil? The part that I want to focus on this morning is the other half of this, which is this phrase, but be mature and wise in understanding matters of this kind. What are matters of this kind? Based on what Paul's teaching, matters of this kind deals with the works and movements of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about learning how to live in the spiritual So in order to understand it correctly, I want to break this verse down. There's three aspects of this verse. If we read the whole verse, it goes like this. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature and wise in understanding matters of this kind. The word be shows up three times in three different phrases. So I think we should... Here's the, 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 the hermeneutics term is let's parse some Greek. Let's go back to school for a second. Let's break down what this means. The first word, be, that shows up here, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. The word is to be becoming. It is geneste, is the word in the Greek. The second phrase, be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, is a different word. And it means to be being babes. or being It literally means right now, be a baby. The third phrase, but be mature and wise in understanding matters of this kind, goes back to the first word, geneste, means be becoming. And so from those three words in this one verse in 1420, we learn a simple reality. If we pay attention to the tense of these words and the the conjugation of the verbs, there you go, there's a good English word for you. Be becoming is actually an implication of striving towards a future state. Do not strive towards thinking in the manner of children, is what Paul's saying. However, in your thinking, strive towards being ready to apprehend divine things. So we see the trajectory. He's saying, aim at heaven. And there went the water. This other phrase, be being, is an immediate state. So he's talking about in reference to evil. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. I want you to make a decision to be a baby towards it. It means I have no experience with it. It doesn't mean I haven't had experience. It means in the moment right now I'm having no experience with it. If we live there every moment that's a simple easy way to walk this out. But we are to aim our trajectory away from evil and towards the things of heaven. So we looked at being innocent as having no experience with something. So it seems like corollary would be maturity is to have great experience with some some things. Does that make sense? Paul's basically challenging us to spend our lives, and this is what I want to get to this morning, spend our lives developing experience with the works and the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about what does it look like to have experience with the Holy Spirit. Experience is always a perceivable, a perceptible, tangible encounter. It's not an idea. What does it look like to live as people in a consistent, unbroken, ungrieved relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because that's what I believe Paul's talking about here. Is that the only way that we can become mature in matters of this kind, which are the works and movements of the Holy Spirit, is to live a life in step, in constant relationship with the Holy Spirit. What if I could tell us that from the perspective of heaven, God's desire is that we live every day at the same pace of movement that the Holy Spirit's moving at. And sometimes our grace runs out because we ran off ahead of him, because we're not sensitive to where he's at. And so Paul's calling this whole group of people saying, pull back. I want you to invest in this relationship with the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? I want to look at Psalm 25. Psalm 25 declares friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. This word friendship here is rooted in the idea of a face-to-face encounter. And it's understood, the word paneum in the Hebrew is understood as the way two friends would sit together. Let's, let's think, let's go to, we're at Harbinger right now in our minds. And we're sitting across from each other, across, across from the table. We could be at bindle too, there's no offense intended. But we're just sitting having a conversation the way friends do. This is the concept of this verse. It's the concept of relationship with the Holy Spirit. To have a a daily friendship interaction. Fear of the Lord is the key to this. We see that? Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him. Which means, to the person, to the man, to the woman, to the child that will fear the Lord, to that person is given the key to the door called friendship with God. So if I say I want to be a friend with God, I want to have intimate relational friendship with God, the answer is, first learn to fear the Lord. Once you learn to fear the Lord, the key to friendship is given to you. So often in our culture, we want to have friendship first and learn how to fear, but the biblical context says fear always precedes friendship. If we want to take a look at fear the root word of fear in the Hebrew, yare, is reverence. It means to revere. How does Scripture teach that? Really simple. Proverbs 14 says this. Those who follow the right path fear the Lord. Those who take the wrong path despise Him. Now, all of a sudden, the fear of the Lord has been brought back to a daily systematic lifestyle. And Proverbs will teach that it's really simple. If I want to worship God, if I fear God, I'm going to live life every day of my life, the micro moments of my life, the moments when people aren't watching, those moments in my life, the moments when I'm at a laptop, those moments of my life, the moments when I'm scrolling Instagram, those moments of my life, I'm going to live every single moment of my life according to what the Lord has said. And if I don't do that, what I'm saying with my life is, I don't like you. That's so harsh. Could be. But it is what the scripture teaches. The fear of the Lord is rooted in a willingness to follow the path of God. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So the psalmist will say, scripture, the word of God, is what illuminates my path so I can live my daily life in step with God. And it's really, how many, have have you ever played basketball? Anybody in this room played basketball? You remember the word fundamentals? How many had a coach that would talk about fundamentals? Fundamentals in sports are the basic things that you practice all the time because they're what make you good at the game. This is a fundamental of the kingdom. A simple, easy practice that when we do it, it makes us great at the game. The practice is, I allow the scriptures to teach me the heart of God, what matters to God, the things that he said yes to and no to, and then I use that to pattern a life that is consistent with what the scriptures teach, and that opens a door for me to sit and have relational conversation with him. Fear of the Lord is living a life that's aligned with the heart and the desires of the Spirit of God. I know we live in a culture that is not a fan of absolute statements, but can I just make one? There is a path and a way that God wants us to live, which means there are paths and ways that He doesn't. And some of us have bought the lie that these Corinthians bought. If it doesn't bother me, it's not wrong. And I would challenge that and say, we must become a people that will study the scriptures. We must become a people that will invest our lives into the scriptures. Because it is the application of the scriptures that brings out holiness in a people. When we learn to live from the text, not from what the worldview around us says. There are so many issues in our culture right now that the world has a lot to say about and so does the scripture. And we have to make a fundamental choice. I'm either going to live from the paradigm of the Word, or I'm going to live from the paradigm of man. And I would I would love to just tell us, based on what Peter says, we are strange, strangers and aliens, a peculiar and strange people. Why? Because we're people that have chosen to ignore the way the world says to live, and embrace the way our Father says to live, because we understand that His presence is, is our our calling, it's our inheritance, we were intended to walk in it, and we want to be people that can host the presence of God, therefore we're going to live in a holiness in our daily lives, because it matters to me to be able to walk in the tangible expression of heaven. And so I'm not willing to trade that expression for things of the earth that seem to be, that cause me to want to gravitate towards them, whether it's a sin pattern, whether it's a mentality, I'm just not willing to do it because I want to be wise in the things of heaven. Does that make sense? And our culture declares that the path that feels right and the path that matches my desires is the path I should choose. Church, that is the fear of man. That is not the fear of God. If I choose to live in the fear of the Lord, the scriptures and his desires govern my life. What God says he wants, what God says he likes, is the filter I live through. But if I choose to live in the fear of man, my desires and the desires of others govern my life. And in this place, the fear of man, my emotions and the approval of others become the filter. How many understand the concept of a missionary? One who goes from one culture to another to, ex- to help bring something from their culture to that culture. Now, it's, it would be bad form for a missionary to walk. Let's, let's say that we're going to be missionaries to Zimbabwe. We go to Zimbabwe and they sit down and they, they eat goat because they like goat and goats, goats, goats eat in a lot of places and it's not too shabby if it's cooked with water that doesn't have amoebas in it. I've had some. It was great. But what would it look like if as an American you sit down and you're like, I'm not eating that. I eat chicken nuggets. That's what I eat. So get me some chicken nuggets or I'm not eating. You'd be like, that's rude, it's preposterous. You understand, as a missionary, you're there to serve the culture. Can I give us an idea? What happens if we understand ourselves as missionaries into the presence of God? We're there as invited guests to learn His culture. So I want to honor and value what matters to Him. This place of holiness, this place of the fear of the Lord, saying, What matters to you, the way you've said to live, I'm going to adopt and embrace because I want to hang out with you. Living in the fear of the Lord is simply paying attention to what matters in His culture. Learning to ask questions. What happens if in everything we face in our life we would just ask the question, Father, what's your perspective on this? Holy Spirit, can you help me find in the Scriptures how to understand this. Big issues, small issues. See, that's the fear of the Lord. You say, oh, it sounds so tedious. It is. It was never intended to be easy. But when we live this way, what we do is we create, when, we, when a bunch of people in a room are living like this and we come together, we create a place that has a, an, a spiritual attractiveness to God. Because he looks and says, there are people that are living according to my purpose and my plan. They're honoring my heart. What they're saying with their daily lives is, we want you here. And I can dwell on that people. And I can do the things that I want to do in that gathering. Because they have made room for me in their lives. let stand this morning. Father, we love you today. We honor you. Lord, I think it's a timely challenge in our day to be reminded that there is a culture of heaven that you want to see established on earth. So Holy Spirit, this week as we go, would you search our hearts? Search us and know us and expose every area. Lord, whether it is patterns of thought that we've embraced that are worldly and not of you, Whether it's behavior that we've embraced that's sin-based and not of you. Or maybe it's attitudes we hold towards others that are grieving your heart. We just give you freedom, Holy Spirit. We want to be a holy people because we want to be the people that your presence dwells on. We want to be a people that are so attractive to you that you you invade our culture. May your face shine upon us this week. May you lead us and guide us in this pursuit. We love you. Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.